Well, this is the fourth, I think it's the fourth session that we've had of leadership practices. Um, And tonight we're going to talk about servant um, leadership. And uh, sometimes, you know, this, this word leadership can put fear in us. And, oh, I'm not, I'm not a leader, I'm not a leader. But the truth is we're all called to lead in the body of Christ. And that's been the theme or the purpose of you know, why we've created these environments because we want to raise the climate, the culture of our maturity in him. And if we raise the culture and the climate of our maturity, then we're going to lead and then others can be influenced through our leadership. And you know, the Bible is very clear. It says, go and make disciples. And that is a commission for all of us. So we're all called to lead, to be led and lead others. So it's, I, I hope that we're not afraid of the word leadership. We're followers who lead. Is that easier? I'm a follower. I'm not a leader. No, we're followers who are called to be leaders. Leaders who are called to follow the leader. So however you want to look at it, followers, disciples, leaders, they all lead. And uh, servant leadership, this isn't in your notes, but if you want to just with your pen, just maybe put two lines going either side of that word servant leadership because there are two positions in the body of Christ when it comes to servant leadership. One is sonship and the other is slave is that we can be a servant leader from a place of sonship or we can be a servant leader from the place of being a slave or an orphan and we want to be leading from a place of sonship not from a place of being a slave because we can be a son but actually live and lead as a slave. And that's a position of, unfortunately, lack. That's from a position of fear. It's from a position where we tend to control things. We look for things. If we don't get certain outcomes, then we struggle. But sons lead from love. And sons lead um, in freedom. And they don't expect anything in return for their leadership. It's not behavioral based. When a son leads, a son leads and love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, love believes all things, it hopes all things, it bears all things to see the outcome that it's looking for. But see, a slave has conditional outcomes. And when the slave leads from leadership, and those conditional outcomes don't come to fruition in the time frame that the slave thinks it should, then frustration sets in, judgment sets in. A slave is very behaviorally minded, where a son's not. So it's essential that in this body of Christ, in the body of Christ, that we are servant leaders who lead from sonship. Cool? And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And so just come with me from Mark 10. Uh, it's in your, probably actually in your notes. I'm going to open up my Bible. And I find this passage really fascinating. Um, 
mainly to do with the theme of it and the responses of the disciples because for so much of the disciples before Acts, they actually were leaders who led from a slave mentality, not a sonship mentality, and their behavior sort of showed this. And so Mark 10.32, Jesus' sufferings foretold. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Don't you love this response? James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us what we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. It's like, Hold on, I've just told you guys that I'm going to die. I'm going to have this most gruesome death and I'm going to be beaten I'm going to be killed and what are they worried about themselves they sort of miss the whole deal of what he's going through what he's saying to them and all they're worried about is self all they're worried about is well what is that going to mean for us and and can we be on your left and your right it's like man you talk about missing it and being so consumed with you and then it goes on, it says this. They said, grant that we may sit one on your right, one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, we are able. These guys also said they would go with him to his death, remember? And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. There's that word again. That seems to be coming up a lot lately, the works that have been prepared beforehand, that we have all been prepared, chosen beforehand. Hearing this, the ten became to feel indignant. So this is when the other ten now start getting a little bit angry with the other two because they thought we didn't think of that quick enough. They're a little bit ahead of the game on us, so we're going to feel a bit indignant now. With James and John calling them to himself, Jesus said, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's this constant battle that Jesus had between him and his disciples. He's constantly living from this kingdom realm, and they tend to live from the institutional realm. 
They think institutionally. They think fleshly. They're more worried about the impact that everything's going to have on them than they are on him. But he's thinking the other way around. He's thinking, I didn't come here to be served. I came to serve. And I came to lay my life down. Why? Because he knew he was the son of God. See, sonship, the reality of sonship empowers servanthood. And it's such a powerful place to serve from sonship. It's the place of life. And when you're in this place, you can lay your life down. Because your identity empowers the laying down of your life. But the disciples weren't yet in this reality. And so they want to be first and second. They want to jostle for position. They're so positionally minded, not posturally placed. And we can be too. God's been speaking to me a lot about the institution, the institutionalized mindset that we've all been exposed to as opposed to the kingdom. You know, we think positionally. We think titles. That's not what the kingdom thinks. Jesus was the servant of servants, and he demonstrates what a son looks like in servanthood. So in your notes, it says we are all called we are all called to be sons who are servant leaders because we are all called to be sons servant leadership is the responsibility of all We are all called to be sons who are servant leaders. Because we are all called to be sons, servant leadership is the responsibility of all. This family will truly become the family God intends it to be when we all take ownership. When we all own what God's doing. It's The responsibility is ours. And it's the thing that so many people don't want to take on. We live in a world where nobody wants to be responsible for anything. We want to live the way we want to live without any responsibility. It's crazy, but it seems to be the way of the world. And yet we are to be the ones that are responsible. We take responsibility. I'm going to own that. I'm going to be part of that. I'm going to invest myself. I'm going to lay my life down into that thing. That's what a servant leader does. Servant leader serves the father's plan. And like the son, they give their life to see it established. That word called, I spoke that on Sunday, that the purpose, the will of God, what we've been called for, is our transformation. So as we transform, what are we becoming? The sons that are able to live out the way the son lived out. See how everything is interconnected. All these messages you're hearing are one message. They are heavily intertwined, interconnected to produce a servant son who leads in an alignment to the father. Imagine 500 people like that, all serving the father and one another without an agenda without needing to be thanked, 
or acknowledged. Just being. Because knowing him is enough. And he is the source of life, so you're so full, you don't need any of the things that maybe slaves need because of the growth and the maturity that you've entered into. It's such a powerful biblical place that we can know. And I love Mark 10, 42 in your notes. It says, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Do you have any people that you work for that lord their leadership over you? Someone that just keeps you small, keeps you down, keeps you in a place of smallness? What does that feel like? So he's saying you're not to be these leaders that lord their leadership over people, controlling people, keeping them small. People do that because they're ultimately in fear. Their fear of loss, their fear of losing, they can never elevate anyone else above them or build into anyone because they're so scared to lose their position and what that may mean for them. And yet John the Baptist, he's a fantastic example of releasing leadership. When Jesus turns up, his disciples go and follow. He's like, go. That's the one I've been talking about. But see, there's a level of sonship that you need to be in to operate from that. Otherwise, you will operate like an orphan. And you'll have to control it all and keep it all tight and nice little box where it can be contained and controlled. So he says, we're not to be like this. He says, but it is not this way among you. For whoever, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be... Slave of all. Now that's in a good way, not in a bad way. Not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a slave identity. If you want to be great in Christ, nothing wrong with that. You want to be the most mature follower, we have to learn what it means to be a servant. Servant without agenda. We don't have an agenda. His agenda is my agenda. That's what we live for. Why? Because we've laid our life down. So we're here to serve him and his purposes, period. And out of that is where you find abundant life. And that's what he's saying to his men here. So in your notes, you will never know if you are truly a servant leader until you get treated like a slave. You'll never know if you're truly a servant leader from sonship until you get treated like a slave. This is what tests your identity as a son. So when you serve and you get treated like a slave, how do you respond? Because your response will tell you what posture you're in or coming into. It's a little bit like, it's easy to love those that love you. But when you serve someone and you don't get back what you're giving, how do you then respond? Because once again, sons don't serve with an outcome in mind, with a behavioral change. They hope all things. So they do it agendaless because they're about their father's business. 
if Jesus served us with a premeditated agenda of our response of what it should look like, none of us are here today. He's not on that cross. You see what I mean? Love, sonship, love is enab- enables to go up and be persecuted and still appropriate a biblical response back. Why? Because of the maturity of the sonship, the identity that's in the person that's serving. See why maturity is so important? You see why Paul says, let's press on to maturity. Because this is what God's looking for. Now, however you want to word it, it's the bride. It's the sons that creation is waiting to be revealed. It's the nation of God. It's the family of God. It's the children of God. It's all the same thing. It's God's people being able to serve the way the Father intends because we are being transformed through the word. And this is what he's saying to his disciples. See, Luke 17, 7 to 10, which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Sort of puts it right out there, doesn't it? Test the heart big time as to our role and why we do what we do. And it tests if there are any impure motives behind why we do what we do. That's why it's not just about serving, it's why I serve. And you've heard this, but man, some of the, some of the biggest issues I've had since I've been here is musicians. Especially when I started. The egos, but the insecurity was just as big. They both were as big as one another. In fact, insecurity was bigger. That's my gift. Don't touch my gift. Funny, I thought it was his gift given to you to serve him with. Massive. And this gets in the way. See, insecurity, this gets in the way of us becoming the family, the sons he wants us to become. So we have to be enable us ourselves to be confronted with the reality and allow the truth to go to work and let the truth set us free. Because he's saying here, it's like, man, we're just called to be servants. And the slave's been out in the field working hard all day long, comes home and says, right now, prepare me some dinner while I put my feet up. Is that fear? Well, what's fear? In your notes, godly servants... Don't expect or look for anything in return for serving their father's purpose. Godly servants, sons, don't expect or look for anything in return for serving their father's purpose. The fact 
that they get the opportunity to serve and participate in serving the Father's purpose is their joy, honor, and privilege. Godly servants don't expect to look for anything in return for serving their Father's purpose. The fact that they get the opportunity to serve and participate in serving the Father's purpose is their joy, honor, and privilege. And you know, sons who are servant leaders prioritize their father's ways and not their own. Sons who are servant leaders prioritize their father's ways and not their own. It's a pretty high standard, eh? God's been talking to me a lot about why the truth has to be proclaimed because you know what it does? It causes reverence and it brings humility into the house of God. When you start realizing the true standard, biblical standard, all of a sudden reverence comes upon you and you're like, and you start to realize your absolute need and dependency on the Father to go to work through your surrender. And if we will surrender, we will receive the fruit of the work, which then enables us to live like that. See, what happens if you expect something and you don't get it? Hurt, offense. Where do you think the root of division starts? In hurt and offense. So if you're expecting, if you come expecting, I'm going to serve this and I expect this to be the outcome, and you don't get it, maybe you quit serving. No one appreciated me in this community. I'm leaving. No one ever acknowledged what I did. Well, who are you doing it for? I remember about six years ago being down the front. I turned around and I discerned there wasn't a lot of life happening. And I went, I've had a guts full of this. I'm out of here. That's what I said in my heart and my mind. And I turned around to the person and I said, man, I'm sick of this. And he said, who are you doing this for? You know what it did? It snapped me. Bang! I'm like, Father, forgive me for that attitude. Why? Because of maybe my expectation of seeing things quicker than what I would have liked to have. Do they appreciate it? Do they actually appreciate the time and the investment? See, when you carry an expectation, not hope, it's a pathway that's dangerous because you're always looking for it. And when you don't find it, 
And so we need to be these people. We need to serve because we're in love. And love is enough. His love is enough. We write songs about it. Christ is enough. The challenge is, is he really becoming enough that we can model a sonship servant, a leader who serves like the son? Because once again, that is the will of God. That is the calling for each and every one of us to become like the son so we can walk in the manner in which the son walked. So the father would be glorified, the body of Christ would be built up, and a lost world would know Jesus was sent for them. Isn't that what the scriptures teach? See, the scriptures have to become our reality. They're no good on a page. They need to be manifested into the earth. And whether we like it or not, we've been chosen and handpicked and selected to be those people. And whether we realize that's what we were signing up for, <laughs> well, maybe we thought we were getting a free ticket away from hell and we're going to live as we always have. But when you said, yes, Lord, he hoodwinked you and he deceived you in divine ways, he certainly did me, and said, yep, yeah, no, nah, you think you've got it all, but I'm going to start unveiling some things. And so... This is how sons serve, agendaless. They don't expect anything. They don't go looking for thank yous. If they get them, it's nice, but they don't need them. It's nice to be honored. Thank you. It's nice to be given a thank you, isn't it? It's nice to be encouraged. But the more we're in Christ, we don't need them. Can you hear what I'm trying to say? We don't go looking for them. It's like I don't need another person to satisfy me. Christ does that. And because Christ does that and he fills the vehicle up, the vessel, you're able to pour out Christ. And the more you serve that way, you just get topped up. So it's this continuous flow of Christ coming out of you because you're never empty. You're constantly full because of the food that you're eating. Yeah? And I know how big this is, but we worship a big God. And if it was able to be contained within our understanding, if we were able to do it, then he wouldn't be worth following, would he? So it requires submission and servanthood. Mark 10:45. for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For the Son of Man did, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love the scripture that says, if you're going to lose your life, you may make sure you lose it for Christ's sake. You need to understand what that means because the Bible is quite clear. You can have faith that moves mountains. You can do all this Christianese stuff, but if you don't have love, then you're a gong. And it says if you're not losing your life for Christ's sake, meaning everything is done in Christ, then you're in a falseness, and that is really a road to frustration and disillusionment because you're going, but I'm serving, but I'm serving, but I'm serving, and I'm getting nothing in return. I'm seeing nothing. It's no, because you're losing your life for your sake. It has to be in alignment to him. 
So all the serving has to be done in an alignment to the Father. Otherwise, it's just good intention. You serve out of guilt. You serve out of fear. You serve out of I should. You serve out of religious expectation. You serve because someone asked you to. This is man-led stuff. He wants a serving from the power of God. He wants a serving from sonship. Well, sonship requires relationship. Can you see how important it all comes back to relationship? Because in relationship at sitting his feet, he reveals more of himself in me, which gives me greater faith, which enables me to live a life of faith. So if I'm going to be a son who serves, I need to live by faith because faith sees the unseen, receives it, which empowers me to live this crazy life where I'm agendaless. But I'm my gender's him. So once again, it keeps coming back to the same thing, doesn't it? Know me. Know me. How well do you know me? Greg, how well do you really know me? Because it's on the knowledge of me that you're able to live this out. We're all in this together. And you know, sons who are slaves always prioritize their wants and needs ahead of anyone else's. Sons who are slaves always prioritize their wants and needs ahead of anyone else's. And that's what they're doing there. He tells them he's going to die. He's constantly doing this, isn't he? Didn't Peter do the same thing? I'm going to Jerusalem. No, you're not. Get behind me because he had his mind set on his own interests. And so we have to be broken from that operating system. So as servant leaders, we need to ask ourselves two questions. Remember, we're all called to be leaders. We're all called to be sons, and we're all called to be servants. So as sons who are servant leaders, we need to ask ourselves two questions. Who are we really serving? Who are we really serving? You may be able to kid everyone else, but you'll never be able to kid him. Do you know you can serve yourself with your gift? Because you have a need to operate in the gift that he's given you. You have to do something with it, but instead of using it to serve him and others, you end up serving yourself. And you'll know because if someone comes along and asks you to serve differently, your response will tell you whether you're serving you or God and the other person. And this is what I would see all the time in the music, not now, but in the past. It's like, can you not sing? What? Can you not play? What? Yeah, for this song, I actually don't want you to sing or play at all. But this is my gift. This is my gift. I've been blessed in this gift. I say, I know, but just this song. We don't want you to. Maybe in the next songs you're going to play a rift and you can do all the fancy stuff, but just here. And you see the behavior. Well, I'll do it this way. No, we need you to do it that way. No, I only do it one way. It's called my way. 
So when you think about that, what's our own behavior like when it comes to serving? When someone here asks you to do something and they ask you to do it another way to which you would do it or you want to do it, what's your response like? Ask it to yourself because your behavior will tell you what posture you're in. And it's only there so you can... If you find yourself in a slave mentality, become a son. Because that's not helping anyone, is it? That's certainly not helping the whole. Because it's about a team. It's never about individuals. This is what I've been working with my netball team. You know, it's such a PC culture in the world today. Everyone has to have a fair go. doesn't quite blend with me. I don't even think it's biblical. In fact, I know it's not biblical. God says, take that one off that one and give it to that one because he's going to do something with it. But in this world, we have to be so PC. (laughs) And I said to the girls, this is a team game. And as a team, we agreed a team objective. So we have to play as a team. So that might mean you've got to sit this game out because you may actually be one of our weaker players but that's okay over a season you're going to have some game time but when we come to play this game it means we have to field the strongest team because we're about a team and we all agree that it's about the team and so I know you want to play goal attack but you know what you're a goal keep you're no good at goal attack but you're an awesome goal keep Oh, but that's not fun. I want to shoot the hoops. I know you do, but we're about the team. And your strength is a goal keep. But you can't catch the ball. (laughs) But, oh, no, we have to appease everybody and everyone has to have a turn because it's a democracy. It's not a theocracy. And we all get to say no. Can you hear what I'm trying to say? So who are we really serving? God or yourself? God and his family or yourself? Second question, am I ready to suffer in serving Jesus? Greg, are you saying there is suffering in Jesus' name? Yep. But once again, there is counterfeit suffering and there is true suffering. We have to make sure that we're not just religious people who run around going, look, I'm so suffering for Jesus. And he's going, no, you're being silly. (laughs) That is not of me. That's all of you. And then there is true suffering for the persecution of righteousness because you are living a righteous life and you're living to a standard that sometimes actually upsets everybody else because it actually shines a light on your ability to live something other people aren't. Especially in this country, sometimes we've got to pull that person down because it exposes us and we're found out. So like Martha, we invite Mary to try and help us and her staff rather than come and sit at Jesus' feet. Because Mary was exposing Martha's lack. 
So Martha has to rearrange that and say, Jesus, make her come and serve with me. But Jesus says, no, come and sit at my feet. So am I ready to suffer in serving Jesus? Sons will suffer for the gospel. There's no way around it. If we're truly going to serve as a son, you will suffer for the gospel. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. (laughs) You know what cracks me up with Christians? You know what the institutional mindset does? It says, well, not only we don't suffer, but we think if we get hurt by other Christians, it's like really, really bad. Like they hurt me. It's like, what are you getting about this? The guy was killed. Like, Why does that mindset exist in the body of Christ as if suffering doesn't go with it when the guy we love was brutally killed? Because we have an institutionalized mindset, not a kingdom one. We really sometimes can have a Father Christmas version of the truth than the truth itself. And so that offense propels us away from the church because of a mindset that like suffering and persecution doesn't go with being a Christian. It does. Now I'm not saying some people have not lived a life that, yeah, they did some things wrong. But if you know who you are, you say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And you have the capacity to offer oneness and maintain oneness of spirit with a brother who doesn't know or a sister who they actually are. I love what Todd White says. He says, if we are offended, it's because we don't know who we are. And if we cause the offense... It's because we don't know who we are. Aren't you forever grateful that God's mercy and his patience and his grace covers us while we grow? Here's the challenge. Are we in that to the measure that we can offer that to one another? Because love is supposed to cover a multitude of sin. The Bible says if things aren't done from uh, from faith, it's a sin. It's never an issue of sin. He's dealt with the sin. It's an issue of faith. So when a brother or a sister who's growing offends you through their own lack of identity, are you in a position to love on them and cover that? Because of the faith you're in. You'll start to know that you're growing if that's the reality in which you can live out. Because that's what sons are able to do. Why is it that you think persecution is a strange thing? It's the way of God. So we have to get used to being persecuted for righteousness. And you know, the greatest surprise to me is where it starts. Not pointing the finger, but it starts in this room. That's been my experience of the greatest persecution so far is in the body of Christ. Not in the world that we think it's right here. Why? Because we are the ones that have the reference for truth. They don't. Who was it that nailed him to the cross? 
Who actioned it? What did Rome want to do? Release him. What did the Jewish nation say? Crucify him. Why? Didn't Jesus say your own household will come against you? But your battle is not with flesh and blood. Your battle is with principalities. But if you don't know who you are, then your battle becomes with flesh and blood. And you go hammer and tongs. And the Bible says make sure you do not devour one another with the freedom that you've been given. You see, freedom comes with massive responsibility. But if you want to take responsibility on and just have the freedom, you end up devouring one another because flesh man keeps on coming out because the slave in me, the orphan, demands much and wants much and it will get what it wants. But the son is able to continue to love and keep freedom going and offer oneness, even if it's getting beaten up continuously because the capacity in the son is love, not lust. And love must love because God is love. It's powerful. And this is fully possible for us. I hope you believe that. I know what I'm preaching. I know it's the truth. And I know it's big. I ask you, will you believe it? Because if we can't believe it, it'll never be our reality. Unbelief kept the Israelites out of the promised land. And unbelief is calling God a liar. And we're not calling him a liar, are we? We want to believe. We're going to believe. And so he's saying right here, don't think it's a strange thing happened to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may receive Rejoice, sorry, with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Say, I'm blessed for being persecuted. <laughs> Happy days, because the spirit of glory of God rests on you. You'll be an aroma of life and an aroma of death. Because the Spirit rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief, an evildoer or a troublesome, troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this, his, this name. For it is time for the judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God. And if it is diffi with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those who also suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. The truth will set you and I free. How many of us knew that was even in the word? See where you've got to meditate on the word. Because the word screams a reality that we might not even know about. And so we create our own reality and call it his word, but it's not. 
And we need to wrestle with that because I read Peter telling me that it's an honor and a blessing to be beaten, persecuted, misunderstood, misrepresented for Jesus because the spirit of glory rests upon you if that's the case. And that's greater uh, than the suffering that we're going through because momentary light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory that one is heading towards because everything is put in perspective because of the ability to see what it's really about because one has faith. See, if we don't have meaning behind what we go through, it's tough. But if we have meaning to what we're going through, then you realize God's going to work all things for the good to those who love him. So what could be perceived as bad is actually good because when you love God and God starts to show you the purposes of God, what looks bad is great. When it's in Christ, it's like, man, suffering's awesome. Why? Because the truth is being proclaimed, the kingdom is advancing, and I'm changing. And that becomes bigger than what you're faced with and what you're persecuted and maybe who you're persecuted by. There is no other option to walk this out because like Peter discovered, where else am I going to go? When you taste of this life, you want more. And you don't matter if that comes with more persecution because you know greater persecution, greater formation. That's what I read about when I read the Bible. Sons who serve their father as leaders. Church, we need to come into our true identity. We need to be in your notes. We need to be submitted to our Father more than we are committed to our Father. We need to be submitted to our Father more than we are committed to our Father. Does that sound funny? See, it's through submission that you want to get committed. If you get committed without being submitted, you just run off and do your own thing in his name. And I spoke about this Sunday nights ages ago. You put that word surrender. So surrender defines your commitment. Otherwise, you're still living. And you'll do everything in his name, but it'll be your agenda. Lord, Lord, we did these things in your name, and he said to them, it's only those that do the will of God that enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's only those that allow the transformational process to truly happen in their lives that enter the kingdom reality first within them and the millennial reign because they're the ones that do everything in alignment to the Father's purposes. So when they do signs and wonders, it's all under the authority of heaven. Why? Because they're no longer lawlessness because they do the will of the Father, because they're being transformed into the image of the Son and they're living as sons who lead. They understand the ways of God. Can you hear what I'm saying? This is so critical. If you can't hear this, we need to grab this because this is the one truth, the process. Because we've been taught that laying hands on the sick and doing all these things are the will of God. Then if it's the will of God, how come these guys are getting told they're not doing the will of God. It's a bit of a mystery, but it's to be known 
So the will of God, the transformation of you and I, guess what that does? Enables you to know him, know who you are, and live from that position so you never get hoodwinked. You're not caught doing a work you weren't called to do. And if you are doing a work, it's empowered from faith, spirit-led, spirit-empowered, so you're not lawlessness because you're doing it under the authority of heaven. So you never hear you of lawlessness, you do it your own way, because you're not. Because you are like the son, and the son said, I only do what I see my father doing, and I don't do anything from my own initiative. Me and the son are one, and the father. Wasn't that the prayer? So everything you flow is not just good intention, because I should, could, maybe. I only do what I'm led to do, because I'm in the will of God being transformed, so I know his ways, and I flow in them. Incredible. So we need to be submitted before we are ever committed. Get surrendered to the Father and His ways. Otherwise, we serve from a fleshly motive, looking to be acknowledged by man for our service. We need to be submitted to our Father more than we are committed to our Father. Otherwise, we serve from a fleshly motive, looking to be acknowledged by man for our service. Luke fifteen twenty nine to 30. But he answers and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours, and you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his son of yours came who was devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Man, if that isn't a slave mindset right there, I don't know what is. He's missed the complete fact that his brother, who's been lost, has come home. He's like the Pharisee that gets gives Jesus a hard time because he healed a guy on the Sabbath. You're more worried about your principle, your tradition, healing a man on the Sabbath? Oh, man, kill him. Oh, we're talking about humans. We're talking about people. And the brother is so slave mindseted, he's worried about who? Himself. It's all he can see. He misses that his brother has come home. His brother wasn't in the right mindset either. The father is the only one here that's in the kingdom mindset. Because the son comes home and thinks he needs to be a slave again. He doesn't realize he's a son And the father, through demonstrating the clothes he gives him in the ring, is showing him, you're my son. But he doesn't get that either. So both the brothers are missing it big time. I hope we're not, guys. David said in Psalm 51, you don't want offerings and you don't want sacrifices as your first place priority. You want a broken contrite heart meaning spirit you must be submitted surrendered before you get committed and start giving god your offerings and your things and your that he said i don't want that unless i have your heart david had to learn this the hard way didn't he through murdering a man and having adultery and then nathan the prophet comes and calls him on it 
That's why he was a man after God's own heart, because he repented and turned. The godly sorrow that came upon him and he broke. Those that fall on the cornerstone will be broken to pieces. And then the Spirit of God comes and picks that person up, breathes life into them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom life. And they start living from that new place. which is the place of sonship. And these guys missed it. Sons who are servant leaders use their authority to build the people up. Sons who are servant leaders use the authority, their authority to build the people up, not to lord their authority over the people, keeping them bound. Sons who are servant leaders use their authority to build the people up, not to lord their authority over the people, keeping them bound. You could put controlled. Difference between protect and control. We aren't to confuse those two things. Mark ten forty two to 44, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you should be your servant. So if you find yourself lording your authority over people, whether it's the workplace, at home, here, check your heart. If you find you're trying to control and dominate and with the leadership you have you're trying to control people and keep everybody then check your heart it's not a sonship heart sons release they protect they don't control in the sense of the negative they protect but they are releasing they want to see people grow jesus is the prototype of what a son who as a servant leader looks like. And we are to be like Christ and walk in the manner in which he walked. Jesus is the prototype of what a son who as a servant leader looks like. And we are to be like Christ and walk in the manner in which he walked. And once again, this is everywhere we go. So this is in your home, your workplace, when you're out and about downtown, when you're here, this reality impacts every area of your life because it's in you. And wherever you go, you will lead from what's in you. That's why Jesus said, make sure what's in you is clean. Don't polish the outside of the cup and leave the inside dirty because you will lead from here. doesn't matter what you say, you will lead from who you are. And we need to be coming more like him. So we lead from sonship. And Philippians, just to finish, 2, 1 to 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, which is the transformation of the church. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, 
but with humility of mind. Those that fall on the rock with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I share this on Sunday. The reason Jesus came as a man, fully God but fully man on earth, was to show you and I what's possible. As a man or woman who has surrendered, submitted, empowered, anointed, who eats the living word and drinks it and what they're able to do. Wisdom is vindicated, vindicated by her deeds. Not wisdom, action. There must be a demonstration of God on the earth. And he's chosen the church as the vessel to be the demonstration. So once again, you and I, that is our calling. It's a high calling. It's an upward call. It requires growth. It requires maturity. It requires ownership. It requires everyone to say yes. If half the room say yes and half the room say no, we'll only have half oneness here and not oneness here. We're all in this together. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me at the prayer meeting this morning, he said, Greg, there is no condemnation in Christ. Okay? There is no condemnation because God has dealt with our sin. Some of the prayers were a little bit sort of They weren't in alignment to him. So he's dealt with our sin. It's dealt with. Okay? You're sons. There's no condemnation while you grow up. There are consequences for not growing up. But there's no condemnation. Okay? So it's not like, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm a useless, I can't. No, no, that's not who you are now. You're a son. Okay? So there's no condemnation for that, but there are consequences for not growing his way. And the consequences are you and I, unfortunately, won't experience the life we were called for. Breaks his heart. Breaks his heart and breaks others' hearts. And that's why we need to be submitted to him so we as individuals and as a church can reflect the very thing he says we are. But he's the one that builds us. We can't, yeah? So we're going to have some questions that are in your notes. Um, and just do that in your group. So maybe just elect someone to ask the question and then 
best you can, have some dialogue, and we'll do that for next sort of 30 minutes or so.